0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This is the first Sunday of a new year. And so let me wish you a happy new year. Uh, I'd love to know what new year's resolutions you have made. I'm always fascinated by new year's resolutions. I've read articles about them online. I think they show sort of what we value as a culture, but what we typically don't prioritize. It shows what we value or what we think we should value, but in our everyday lives, we kind of let it slide. And at the beginning of a new year, we say, oh, I need to make this a priority, and I need to prioritize this again. Most of the New Year's resolutions that I uh, hear are are physical, right? I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat better. Most of, that's the most often made resolution is something really physical. Sometimes it's financial. I'm going to get out of debt this year. I'm going to spend less. I'm going to save more. I'm going to budget better. So sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's financial. Many times it's Occupational. Right, I'm going to do better at my job this year. Uh, I'm going to get a new job this year. Uh, I'm going to start a new business this year. Sometimes it's just something mental. I'm going to manage stress better. I'm going to stop procrastinating. I'm going to do better with self Care, something that I should value, but I don't prioritize. Sometimes it's something relational. I want to spend more time with family or friends. I suppose New Year's resolutions are good. I do think it's good to reflect on our past, to think about how we fall short and how we can do better, and resolve to do better. We don't just have to do that at the end of a year, but we tend to do it at this time of year, and I think it's a good thing. But as a pastor, you might expect me to say, I get concerned sometimes because the, the things that I read about and I hear us talk about are, are physical and financial and occupational and relational and and mental, but rarely do I hear any spiritual resolutions. Out of all the articles I read, there was one that said I'm going to resolve to read more. and in- in that one was I'm going to read the Bible every day and if you ever hear a spiritual resolution that tends to be what it is and that's great if you're planning to read through the Bible this year that is wonderful I, I hope that you make it through somebody sent me a text saying that they made it through the Bible last year and they're planning to do it again and I'm so uh, thankful and, and want to encourage that. But but I'm just grieved sometimes. And you say, well, you're, of course you're going to say that. You're a pastor. You're looking for people to think about and talk about spiritual things. But I think it reflects our heart, what we value and what we prioritize, to so not even have spiritual things on the list. So I thought, well, maybe all these things I'm reading online, maybe these folks are just not believers. Maybe they're not Christians. And so, of course, they're not prioritizing spiritual things. They don't value them. And so I felt pretty good about that explanation until I read this A study done by the Barna Research Institute, if you're familiar with George Barna and his ministry in California, it's a research marketing firm, and they do all kinds of surveys across the nation. And so they asked 450 people who identified as born-again Christians, these are adults, all of them say that they're born again, they asked this question, what is the single most important thing you would like to accomplish in your life? What is the single most important thing you want to accomplish? Did you know 80% of them do not mention anything spiritual? (laughs) A born-again Christians. The number one answer, being a good parent, raising good kids. That's great. I think that you should... I don't know about higher than, you know, something spiritual. People mention financial security, retirement funds, completing or furthering my education, making a difference in the world and helping other people. I think that's great. Experiencing career success, having a good job or a good career, having good health, having a good marriage, being a good person, being known as a good person, having a good life, being happy, being fulfilled. All these are good things. But 80% of born-again Christians not mentioning Something spiritual when asked, what is the single most important thing you would like to accomplish in your life? That grieves me. It worries me a little bit. Um, You may think, well, what should the answer be? What should I say, pastor? What is it that you think everybody should be? Well, I think more than evangelical Christians might say something like, um, I want to know Jesus more. (laughs) I want to be more like Christ I mean, that's something important to God. Think about it. We love to quote Romans eight twenty-eight, right? That God is using all things, right? For what? For those who love him and are called, course, where he's using all things for our good, and he's using whatever happens in the world for our good. But then if you read verse twenty nine, he says that good for us, that the purpose he's called those who he loves to, or those who love him, is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be more like Jesus. Which means God is using all things to make us look more like Jesus. So that must be something that's pretty important to God. I would hope that it would maybe make our list of things that we would want to do or improve at in the new year. You know, I guess it just concerns me because I think it's a reflection of our heart. That if knowing Jesus, if walking more closely with him is not the single most important thing to Christians then I fear that many who profess faith and attend church just see their faith as a means of achieving what they really want, something physical or mental or emotional or financial or occupational, instead of seeing Christ as the center that everything else revolves around. And I think we get a really good idea of how to biblically answer these questions in Philippians chapter 3. I want to spend a few moments, I know some of you are studying Philippians and you've gone in depth and you're going to say that exposition is woefully inadequate because we're going to go through it really quickly, but sometimes it's good just to see the big picture and to kind of, uh, to see the the thrust of Paul's argument. Let me give you the context before I start reading in verse 7. Paul has been saying here in Philippians, that he has had a lot of success, that a lot of things have gone his way, that he's had social success, he was born into the right kind of families uh, that you would want to be born in in this society, that he's had educational success, he's learned from all the right teachers, all the right The gurus of the day, he has learned from them. He has had career success. He writes elsewhere about how he was surpassing other people who were older than him. At a young age, he was really progressing in his career. And he had developed a reputation or this great notoriety of being an up-and-coming star. That Paul was experiencing those things. And and in this culture, with those things would come financial security for him. And then he says this. Verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, I've had all those things that you're striving for, that you value in your culture, that you are prioritizing and setting goals and setting resolutions to achieve. Paul's saying, I've had all those things And there's no comparison. I'd rather have Christ. I'd rather know him more. He said that those things, which are good things, he said that they are basically trash when compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Your translation may say the excellency of knowing him. Paul said he's even willing to go through suffering if that enables him to become more like Christ because that's the most important thing to him. That that's such a high value, it's such a priority for him, that it's what drives him. That he wants to know Christ. That he wants to gain him. He wants to be found in him. (laughs) There's a whole there are books written about what Paul means by being in Christ. So whatever explanation I give is going to fall short. But it just means to be united to him, to be close to him, to have a relationship to him, to be connected to him. He wants to be found in Christ and to know him and become more like him. Now, if you're like me, you may be wondering this. I I, I wondered this when I read the text. You know, didn't Paul already have Christ? (laughs) Didn't he already know him? I mean, why would this be a New Year's resolution, right? Maybe that's why we don't make this, because we feel like we already know Christ. We feel like we've already followed him. We've already done that. We've already checked that box. Look what Paul says, verses 12 to 14. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yes, you're right. At this point, when Paul's writing this, he has known Jesus for two or three decades, And he's been following him. He actually saw the resurrected Christ, was discipled by him, and sent by him as an apostle. So in many ways, Paul knew Christ in a way that many of us never will. Certainly his knowledge of the Old Testament, the fact that he wrote, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a third of the New Testament. Yes, he knew Christ. Yet Paul seems to be saying here, listen, don't think that you have ever explored the depths of the greatness of Christ. Don't think that if you've been following for a decade or two decades or three decades and you know the scripture really, really well, don't think you can check off the box such that you can move on to something else. Because there is this surpassing greatness, this excellency that comes with knowing Christ. And you you feel Paul's urgency with it, right? Twice he says, I press on to more of Christ. He's the greatest thing, so I pursue him above all things. Certainly, Paul's New Year's resolution would have included, if he says this one thing I do that he presses on toward Christ, surely he would answer the the one greatest thing you would do would be to press on. He says that here. New Year's resolutions, I don't know. I don't have one for Paul. I remember in 1 Corinthians 2, around verse 2, he does say to the Corinthians, I resolved while I was with you to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. So I do think knowing Jesus, following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus would, would be a resolution that he would make. It would be a resolution that he had. And if your heart and your mind are like mine, I think, well, you're talking about Paul here, right? I mean, we're talking about the apostle Paul who had a special relationship with God. Saul, I wasn't struck down on the Damascus Road. Paul, he's an apostle. He has some kind of an experience I don't have. Look at verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things (laughs) (laughs) out. In verse 17, he says, join with others in following my example. Paul is saying this isn't a description of some ultra-Christian. This is a description of a Christian. (laughs) This isn't the description of some really top-notch disciple. This is the definition of a disciple. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus to press on, to keep pressing on, to have that thirst, to have that knowledge. And look what he goes on to say, verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before and now say, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Ouch. Isn't that what our resolutions say about us, right? When we focus on the physical, the financial, the occupational, the relational, and not the spiritual, doesn't that just show that our minds are on earthly things? Paul says that drives him to, to Tears. That we miss out on the excellency, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, to be found in him, to gain Christ, to become more like him. Maybe you're here this morning you're thinking, look, I, yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, <laughs> I don't desire Christ like Paul's talking about here. Not to the extent he's, not to the extent of I, fellowship, you know, I want a fellowship in the sharing of suffering so that I can know him more. You know, that's not my New Year's resolution that I'm willing to go through sufferings if it means I know Christ better, right? That's not on my bucket list to suffer if it means that I know Christ more. Yet that's what Paul calls mature believers to do. So what do I do if I don't desire to know Christ like this? If I do not desire to become more like him, then what should I do? What do I do with that? Number one, just be honest and say, hey, that's where my heart is, Lord. He already knows your heart, (laughs) okay? Just be honest and say, Lord, that's where I am. I don't desire to know you and to to become like you. Would you work in my heart? Would you change my desires? My, My desires are wrong. Yes, I desire good things, but they're messed up. I I, I make these good things God things. I make them too big. I prioritize them too high. And I prioritize you, the greatest thing, too low. Paul says those things are trash compared to you. And I spend all my time and my thoughts and my desires and my planning trying to accumulate trash. Trash. Instead of the Lord, just be honest and say, Lord, here's where I am. Will you forgive me? Will you change my heart? Will you change my desires? We're going to have some time later in our service. We're going to serve communion. And, and, and it's going to be a prolonged time. I'm going to try to preach shorter so that we have more time at the table. And, and I want you to take this time to, if that's where your heart is, if, to take inventory, if that's where you are, just to be honest with God about that. And ask Him to come and change your desires. Now, what if you're here today and you do desire to know Christ and become more like Him? You've heard this somewhere, you're like, yes, dang it. I didn't put that in my New Year's resolutions. And I should. I know that that is important. I know that Christ is better than all things. I know that I should prioritize Him. I do want to follow Him. I do, in my better moments, <laughs> when I'm in my right mind, I know that that is what I should desire, and I know that that is what I should do. How do I do that? How do I get to know Jesus better in 2020 and become more like him this year? Well, after years of study and debate, after, of course, based on the Scripture, after trial and error, here at Redeemer Church, we have really worked hard to set out a clear and accessible path for people who want to follow Jesus, for people who want to get to know him better, for people who want to learn to walk more closely with him. And, of course, each one of those letters in PATH spells something out. And so I I still think this is the best shorthand. How do I know Jesus better? How do I follow him? Here at Redeemer, the way we talk about it is PATH. There are other places that do similar things. This is just our vocabulary, our vernacular And so I want to introduce it to you. What if I want to follow Jesus? I want to get to know him better. There are four things. P, prayer and Bible reading every day. Now, think about that with me. You don't have a real relationship with any person that you don't talk to and that you don't hear from on a regular basis, right? I mean, that's just how relationships work. If you don't ever talk to them and they don't ever talk to you, then you ain't got a relationship with them, right? Not really, not a real relationship. And the same is true with God. He's a person. And the way that we talk to him is in prayer. And he's one of the ways, one of the main ways he speaks to us is through his word. And so at prayer and reading the Bible and being in his every it's just how we have a relationship. It's just how we talk to him and how he talks to us. I would encourage you to read the Bible every day. Don't feel like you have to read the whole thing in 2020. I used to do the, you know, Robert Murray McShane, tried to read all these different passages and stuff. Now I do the New Testament in a year. Bible Gateway has an app, helps me do it, right? It pops up. The first thing I do every day is read just a short passage of Scripture, and it really influences my mind and my thinking for the day. Find what works for you, but be in the Word every day. And for prayer, if you're not sure what that looks, come back tonight at 5.30. We're going to eat together. At 6.15, we're going to pray. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to pray out loud. You can just sit and observe. And I promise you, you'll learn and you'll see what it looks like to pray. And you'll learn some ways to talk with God if you come back tonight, 5.30 for dinner, 6.15 for prayer here in our worship service. That's the P, prayer and Bible reading every day. The A is attend on Sundays preached a whole year on this. I did a whole sermon series on A, okay? So I can't say everything here. But what I learned in that study about attending on Sundays is this. God is present when his people are gathered in some way that he is not present when he's with you by him, when you're by yourself. I don't know how to explain that, but the Psalms say he inhabits the praises of his people and you. Jesus says, whenever two or three are gathered, that I'm with them. The epistles say that. You know, Paul and Peter both talk about that, that uh, my people are living stones. As when they come together, he inhabits them with this Shekinah glory that his presence that's real and palpable comes together when his people gather in a way that we just don't see when we're by ourselves. I mean, that's just what the scripture says. And so to really encounter God, I think it's important to be here on Sundays. And the Holy Spirit can use whatever he wants to to make you into the person he wants you to be. Okay, let me be clear about that. But he typically uses some very common things. And what he typically uses to change us into the people he would have us to be is the word, which we're in every day. But specifically the the preaching of the word that we hear on Sundays. Why does God use foolish preachers? I don't know. But I'm so glad that he does. But he uses the word, especially the preaching word, the sacraments, which those things only happen when we gather together. The preaching of the word and the sacraments. And we're going to have a chance to come and to do that today. And, and hopefully you'll experience a greater closeness with him through that time that we spend at the Lord's table. But he uses the word, and especially the preaching of the word. He uses the sacraments and he uses prayer to draw us closer to him. And so it's important that we attend on Sundays. T. Take time to be in a small group. Um, here at Redeemer, we have a couple of different kinds of small groups. You may have heard about our C groups, or community groups. Uh, that's when a dozen or 15 or so folks get together. Uh, usually on Sunday nights, a couple of meet at the church, four or five meet in other places in the community in people's homes. We fellowship with one another. We pray with and for one another. We discuss the sermon. We just have seen and experienced that, being in a community of other like-minded people who are trying to follow Jesus and trying to get to know him better helps us to get to know Jesus better. And I see how somebody else is applying this truth in their life, and it helps me to apply those truths in my life, right? It helps me to see what other people are struggling with how God has answered their prayer and encourages me to pray to God and to look to him for answers. The one another's in Scripture you can't experience in your boat fishing on Sunday morning by yourself, Right? You only learn to, to love one another and serve one another and to, to be kind to one another if we're with one another. And so the one another's of scripture can only be learned in these community type groups. And so we have C groups. You may not have heard about a second kind of group we have. I call them D groups, discipleship groups. It's a smaller group. It's a little more intentional. It's a little more commitment. The best way I would know to describe it to you would be like as if you've ever been coached before. You ever had mentoring. Maybe you had a coach that helped you get better in athletics or sports, or if you had financial goals, maybe you worked with the financial advisor or if you have physical goals maybe you've worked with a physical trainer before maybe you've had a mentor at work or someone in your profession that you learn from that's a little further down the road in your profession than you are and you can ask them questions and you can learn from them that's sort of what the discipleship groups are like it's like having a coach or a mentor at church who helps you with growing spiritually who helps you to get to know Jesus better and become more like Jesus and to more and more integrate your faith into all of life. It's it's a smaller group, usually just three or four folks. There's more commitment. It's a little more intentional. It's a little more personal. If that's something you are interested in, you want a, a spiritual mentor, you want a spiritual coach, email me. Uh, Dakota said, are you sure you want to put your email? I just, yes, email me if that's something that you want. I would love to connect you with a coach or a mentor that would to help you grow and get to know Jesus and become more like him in 2020. So there's prayer and Bible reading daily, attend on Sundays, take time to be in some kind of small group, whether it's a C group or a D group. And then the H is have a personal ministry. If you're doing these other three things, then maybe the next step for you is to be a spiritual coach or to mentor other people. If you've ever taught something, you know you learn it better than the students ever do. And sometimes when you lead someone else, you learn so much about the faith on your own. God really uses it to grow us. So maybe your personal ministry, maybe coaching or mentoring, if that's something you're interested in, email me that too. Hey, I'm interested in being a, mentor, a spiritual mentor or a spiritual coach. We can talk about that and, help you, and and help you do that here in this place. We would love to match up people who have that desire. Because path is the clearest way I know to get to know Jesus better and to learn to walk with him more closely. Listen, I hope you have a great 2020. I hope it's a great year for this year. I hope that all your New Year's resolutions, you work hard and you keep them. But I hope we all remember what God's word says. That there's nothing greater than knowing Christ and becoming like him. And my prayer is that we would all know him better and become more like him this year. And we really desire for Redeemer Church to be a place that will also help you do that. We're not perfect. We fall short. I loved Will's prayers. He was just, you heard our heart as a leadership. But we'd love to have you walk along with us as we ourselves press on to know the Savior better and to become more and more like him. Let's ask him to help us to do that in this place. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. (laughs) We get so focused on earthly things. It's just where we live and, and, and where we are. Thank you for this reminder from your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, helping us Thank you for helping us to to remember what is true, what is valuable, what is right. Father, forgive us when we go astray. I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and that you would give us a great desire to know you above all things and to become more and more like Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.